to Cohen. England making Portugal chase. And it's Hurst. Five minutes running by Hurst back to Charlton. This could be it, it is. And that could be the goal that puts England in the final. And welcome to the Sound of Football podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. Uh, starting on a on a low note because of the news at the weekend of the passing of Bobby Charm, Sir Bobby Charm. By the time I was aware of football, he was already in management, and he was probably already out of management as well by the time I really got into football. So someone who I knew of as someone who the previous generation had admired and enjoyed. But there was certainly no escaping the legacy of Bobby Charlton and the fact that he was English football for so many years. And when you're growing up in the 70s and 80s, his name still lived on. And the England team was always a shadow of the ones that would have Bobby Charlton in. And all the players couldn't stand up to his legacy. Terry, you're a similar age to me. For us, I suppose, it's more about the idea of Bobby Charlton rather than what we think of him as a player, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of highlights and footage of Bobby Charlton playing. I mean, I mean if you, you know, wanted to study his game, you would know he's not like Stanley Matthews, who perhaps is another former England international who had a similar standing where there is not a great deal of footage. Uh, he was a player who was around in the leading edge of televised football. But you're right, I, I wasn't born even in the, the 66 World Cup. Although he went on for some time afterwards, his best years ended in the early 1970s. And yeah, he's one that your parents think about, I remember, with a great deal of fondness. But there's enough of, the, of him around to, uh, as a player for us to know that he was one of the great players, one of the great players of all time, one of the, one of the best footballers, you know, a former Ballon d'Or winner and a winner of pretty much everything that there is to win. From a time when footballers like Bobby Charlton come from a strong working-class background, and of course he was one of the survivors of the Munich Air disaster as well, so saw some times, you know, and I think as a consequence is remembered not just in England as one of the greats, but also internationally too. I, I mentioned before we recorded that they held a minute silence for him in the bar, before the Barcelona Athletic Club game uh, yesterday. Uh, which surprised me a little bit. You know, then I think about it, I thought, well, you know, I mean, when greats, when great players of, of the football world pass on, it's quite common internationally for them to be observed. You know, it's happened with Pelé and Maradona and Cruyff. So why wouldn't it happen with Sir Bobby Charlton? It's just, I guess, because he's English. I did maybe kind of forget just what an impact he had on the game internationally and, and, and just what a great figure that he was uh, and clearly is missed. Yeah, and Terry mentioned there the working class roots and him and his brother very much linked with their Northumberland home with the very mm. modest upbringing they had. They were actually, I think, I don't know what how directly they were related to Jackie Milburn, but they there were is, cousins. They were cousins, right? Because yeah, so they were very, they were close. And there's some great footage actually if you see it of when the Charlton brothers took the World Cup back to Ashington. 
which must have been incredible for a working class kind of industrial area to have two of its sons come back with the biggest uh, trophy you can win in in world football, um, you know, to become megastars, um, which doesn't really happen in kind of uh, post-industrial or where they actually were industrial towns at that at that yeah. time um so you can see why there there would be would be heroes um in that area but also heroes uh, for english people because there were working class boys who you know reached the pinnacle reached the top um which you know because of the class system you can't really do in this country um but they managed to do it which is wonderful and 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 you're right you know that that has kind of bled down through the generations isn't it because my parents would would talk about you know how great the 66 boys were and charlton both the charltons but in this case bobby you know no one can kick a ball like charlton then you'd see with all those kind of videos that you'd always get in your stocking at christmas uh, 101 great goals there was always a, a good handful in there from bobby charlton who could hit some spectacular shots so it is surprising terry that that he's remembered in a minute silence in spain but I think maybe as English people, we sometimes do ourselves short because if it was, you're right, if it was Cruyff, you'd go, well, why not? And, and you know, he he's is up there in his achievements with with the greats, with Cruyff, with Pele. I'm not saying whether technically he was good or not as good, but in terms of what he achieved in his career, it was stellar. So he should be um, remembered fondly and has been, and that's, uh, that's a great thing to see. People think about Pele maradona cruyff and they associate them with more than just being a great player but being part of something part of a, of a kind of football and pioneers in that way cruyff was emblematic of total football so yeah. emblematic of a big you know maradona was part of you know the argentine explosion and and also because of what he did with napoli as well and, and bringing to life that great institution as well and you could say the same thing about pele as well and i don't know whether or not maybe Charlton doesn't quite in our minds have that, which why we don't necessarily think of him as being sort of like an icon. And yet he was, <laughs> I mean, in many ways, I think he is, you know, our Pele in a way, not necessarily in the way that he played football, but, uh, but in, in what he represented to us. And, and I think it's right that we take a moment to remember that uh, and perhaps, you know, remind ourselves of just what a great player he was, but also what a great human being he was too. So we celebrate his life rather than necessarily mourning his passing. And, and I, I think that it is perhaps just reminding ourselves of just how lucky we are as Englishmen to have someone like that who played for our country and had all the great characteristics of, of a great man as well as being a great player. And, and, and in this country, we, we could do with a few more mm. heroes like that, not wishing to overly romanticise and certainly not wishing to become unnecessarily nostalgic for times past because that's not how it works. We celebrate the fact that football is a working class sport and is still a working class sport. And it's guys like Bobby Charlton that remind us of that, I think. Mm. There is something about the spanning of, of his career because it goes from the mid-50s up to the start of the 70s. That is a, a huge period of changing football. In many ways, in his demeanour and the fact that most of the goals you see are him just giving it laces with a heavy boot and just kicking this orange ball very, very, very hard. So there is something industrial about the way he plays, but also there's an honesty there. And I think that goes in with that northern mining town roots of his. And of course, because he was a softly spoken person as well, he does very much sit with those sort of like working class heroes that are 
perhaps a little bit more acceptable to a wider public audience mm. even more so than his brother say because his brother perhaps was a bit more of, of an abrasive character mm. people lots of people loved him but obviously he would speak his mind as well uh but obviously with bobby he was loved and of course there was that history of the fact of being on the plane at munich and as you say terry not being part of a sort of movement but there is the idea of the busby babes and what that 58 team would have done and obviously people like Duncan Edwards and about the whole sort of mythology that has come about from there. But I think as well, especially when as he as he grew older into his career and and of course the partnership he had playing for Man United up front with Dennis Law and George Best. Three very different players, but working so well together, an Englishman, Irishman, a Scotsman, it's like a joke, isn't it? But and and yeah. there's a statue of those three outside Old Trafford. You you know, you can't help but have your picture taken with it because it, it's so iconic. But I think that's part of him. He, he is almost part of a, even an older age to, the, the, than I think of him. I, mean, I was alive when he was still playing. Obviously, I don't remember him playing, but, but there is something about the 50s about him, but there's also there's something about, of the 70s about him as well because of, of the people who he played with and the influences that he's had as well. Yeah, he's kind of had that sort of transition, didn't he? That sort mm. of like post-war, that post-war austerity and then the post-war consensus. And you, you see that reflected in that trio and George Best very much reflecting. These are all tropes and stereotypes, yeah, incidentally. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of 1960s liberation and Charlton representing immediate post-war 1950s austerity. Yeah. And they complemented each other very well in that respect in terms of narrative. And it's all about narrative and storytelling, isn't it? Mm. And it represents some fantastic stories and narratives and it should be celebrated. And they're a snapshot of, of our country and of our post-war history as well, which is sort of now passing, you know, receding in the rear in the rearview mirror now. And it's poignant. Mm. Yeah. And if you think as well that for the, the generation that witnessed him being one of the players that, that won the World Cup, you, you're right to talk about post-war austerity because it was slightly over 20 years before there was a war raging and then all of the um, austerity that came after that and then you had Cool Britannia and it, although he you wouldn't say he typified Cool Britannia because he was a different character but he was part of the sporting wing of that cultural change that we had so yes you, you got the 50s Charlton you've got the 70s Charlton but in the middle of that he was a, you know, an unlikely part of this really cool and blossoming and, 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 and a country taken off the shackles of uh, that had been holding it back for a while so it's, it's so you can see why he stays in the cultural memory we've all kind of had come and go as was as we've grown up yeah it's it's interesting I, I, to i mean it just because i've obviously i've seen sporting kind of obituaries but it would be good to see him and maybe some of the you know maybe that team in the context of those three decades to see what it what they really mean to people because the fact that we're talking about this and we thought we'd only spend a few minutes on this actually the more you talk about it the more you think about it you realize what a phenomenon he was part of i often wonder when people sort of harken back to early ages as football journalists tend to do especially like when players let themselves down and and you always sort of think, well, who are they? Who are they really referring to? Are they referring to someone like Bobby Charlton? Are they saying you should be a bit more like Bobby Charlton, or this is what players should be like? They should be honest, hardworking people. Bobby Charlton's first few years of his career, he would have had a maximum wage. He would have been limited on what he could have achieved, and he would have known that going into football, the football was going to be something that isn't going to make you a millionaire. And Ooh. 
within a decade, that's entirely changed. But I wonder if there is... I mean, football journalists, there aren't that many football journalists who are older than than us. So they're going on a false narrative that's been handed to them from previous generations about Mm. how footballers should behave. But it would be great if a lot of footballers did behave a lot more like Bobby Charlton than the arseholes that they do behave like. But this is his legacy, the ideal that I think a lot of people have is how a footballer should conduct themselves. They should be immensely brilliant, but also be very modest and quiet about it and just go mm. about it with their business and go down the pub after a game and, and have a pint with the fans. Bobby Chalmers is his own man. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, he was very, very successful. And we've seen what has happened with some players when they've had too much success too young. But he was true to himself and true to his character. And he was, you know, he's, you're right, he was a very different character to his brother. We did a podcast celebrating the life of Diego Maradona, true to himself as well, yeah. with all his flaws and celebrated for that as well. And he, as he should have been, I think, just accept Bobby Charlton the way he was. You know, he was he was a quiet guy. He got on with it. He was quite dignified um, in everything he did, apart from when he was striking a football. There was very little <laughs> dignity in that because it was <laughs> so powerful. But, you know, I would hope people don't take that view that, you know, he's the last of his kind because there are thoroughly decent people that play football now that are, are dignified and, and get on with it. And there are also people that are, you know, who are more flamboyant and, and all of them flawed. And, and that's what makes, you know, them what they are and celebrate that for what it is. Absolutely. I think authenticity, obviously, is a word that you hear an awful lot, but I think that it's something that, that applies. And I think that that's the lesson that, you know, isn't, no, don't, you, you must behave like a quiet, humble, softly spoken working class northerner in that stereotype. You know, you must be true to yourself and be who you are and be the best version of the self that you can be. And I think that that's certainly publicly what Bobby Charlton was, as indeed was Jackie. Jackie was a very brash, very plain speaking, very direct, another working class northern stereotype, nevertheless. But they, these are who they were and, 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 and they excelled at being those kind of people. And that's the message here. It isn't, let's go back to the maximum wage, which I think a lot of these, particularly sort of like these Tory hacks, they take that working class stereotype and say, why can't you just be happy and humble like Bobby Charlton was? It's sort of like, no, no, it's like, well, you be yourself, be the, be the best version of the self that you can be like Bobby Charlton and like Jackie Charlton. With your social medias now, though, I mean, like he would never been the same player now if, if Bobby Charlton had been born in 1990 he'd be a divisive character now he'd have his own mocking parody accounts wouldn't it about boring Bobby Charlton wouldn't it right now that's that's what it would be he'd be today's James Milner wouldn't he <laughs> it's only probably a bit more talented but yes yeah. <laughs> slightly more talented. <laughs> sorry sorry James if you're listening <laughs> James Milner boring and not as good as Bobby Charlton I'm so, sorry, but he got absolutely skinned at the weekend, <laughs> James Milner. So, um, and he got and he got hooked at half time. But he's 37 years old against a much, much, much faster opponent. So, uh, yeah, sorry, James. I didn't realise I was going to get caught. See, look, look, see, this is how guilty I am. Look, a, a nice, unassuming <laughs> professional there who just turns up and plays his game. Look at me, I'm slagging him off. Mm. Sorry about that, yeah. So, but no, this is what social media's done, isn't it? We can't have nice things like Bobby Charlton anymore. <laughs> if he'd been born in 1990, I don't think he would have been allowed to be the person who he was. 
Is that right? Or what, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, it's different at different times. You know, he grew up in a in an industrial town in a in a very austere time. If he was born in 1990, you know, he'd be exposed to so many different things. He would have been born into football much richer than he'd ever seen into a society that's vacuous. They just care about trivial shit. I mean, yeah, he would have been a completely different person, wouldn't he? Probably would have ran around with tiny shin pads on, with these socks around his ankles, like some of the players do now, um, <laughs> just, and people not taking him seriously as they would. But yeah, you're right. I don't think he would have been allowed to be like that without being mocked. You're right. But I think that you know different times produce different people, and I think he would have probably just been of his time as he was then. Well, he came from Ashington, of course, it was a coal mining town. So if he'd born yeah. in 1990, he'd have been through the economic shockwaves that come from the closure of, of the pits, is what he'd have. And, you know, the miners' strike in the mid 80s, and then, of course, the pit closures in the early 90s. He'd have lived through that, and certainly his early, very early life would have been through that. Maybe he wouldn't have become a footballer. Maybe he wouldn't have had those that, that route. But you suspect that he probably would have been, and he probably would have been scouted by Manchester United, to be fair. Um, because you know, if he was if he was that talented, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a different um, it, it's a it's a different landscape, and it's also that's why you need to be careful not to get too romantic and too dewy eyed about people. Because Bobby Charlton didn't live through the social media age; he didn't really live through much of any kind of media age, and so you know, so he had a, enjoyed a degree of protection from that. And modern mm-hmm. footballers now they are expected to show something of themselves beyond simply playing football. And they are also, it's in their interests because they have sponsorship deals and their brand partners expect them to give something of themselves in social media. Even if it's inauthentic, they are expected to look authentic. And so they have different challenges. And although it's difficult to feel sorry for them because of all the money that they make, and it's also difficult to feel sorry for them because you don't tend to identify with the kind of problems and challenges that they have in our own lives. Because the Sound of Football podcast is not, we're not all massive celebrities here, are we? To be honest with you, no one's terribly interested in what we do on our Instagram accounts, not even people who know us. So it's difficult to identify with them, but they do face those challenges and they do face those pressures. These guys earn so much money, but the pressure to deliver is ridiculous. I think we've talked about this before because, you know, they're being paid a ton of money and expected to deliver. So there's different types of pressures on them. And as indeed, there's different types of pressure on the game because there's so much money coming in now and there's so much expectation of money coming in now that it puts pressure on the entire game to keep generating that kind of money, particularly when you've got you know, more investment coming in, more billionaires coming in, and they want some kind of a return. And, and you wonder how long it can last, don't you, Graham? Um, well, you do wonder how long it can last. And I know which direction you're pointing me in. And thank you for a segue there. It does mean that I could could go to a very, very dull conversation about TV deals um, right now, mm. which does seem to be a bit of a letdown on considering what, what we're talking about. But this age of football that we're living in right now may not may not last that much longer or it may stall. There is little growth in the game anymore. And you do get the feeling that the people who are in charge of the game know that. And I think that's why things are perhaps a bit uglier at the moment. I mean, look, we live in ugly times, don't we? Social media is often to blame, but social media really is only reflecting the fact that we're living in particularly ugly times. I think there's no other way I can really put it. There's lots of talk about the fact that, oh, this can't go on forever. And we've been waiting for the last 20 years for the bubble to burst and for football to 
have a reality check and for us to stop spending all this money on on our TV packages every month and for people to say, actually, I'm not going to spend £1,000 on a season ticket. I'm just not going to go because the grounds are still full and new packages are still being sold all the time. Or are they? Because last week, the French Football Federation had to take their products off the market, like, you know, putting your house up for sale and, and putting a price on it and getting no one sniffing around there and no one wanted to buy. Now, currently, the English TV rights are up for sale. There's supposedly bidding going on at the moment. We should know what's going to happen there in December. But in France, they've got no sale. In Italy, there's been no sale as well, um, because that's failed to reach the buying price there as well. The German domestic TV deal isn't going to go anywhere as well. Spain, that doesn't come up for another three years because they ended up having to offer a huge amount just to get the same amount of money that they had before because they can't get any more money in there. Terry, is this the end of days? Is everything going to go tits up? Are players going to have to go down the mine again? Back down the pit. Yeah. Back down the pit with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Only they'll have to go to countries where there are pits. Because they, well, they've, true, they've yes. all been shut because yeah. Thatcher closed them down. Uh, Thatcher and John Major. Um, so, uh, no, I don't think this is necessarily a bubble bursting, but I think that it is indicative of a saturation point that football is no longer worth what broadcasters are willing to pay for it anymore. And this is partly because I just think it's possibly just hit its peak value, but also because there's huge ructions going on particularly in europe we've got a a war in ukraine uh, there's climate change as well which is drastically affecting the price of stuff we're having inflationary surges yes because of war but also we're having inflationary surges because of climate changes and and stuff like that which is affecting supply chains and is causing problems and then there's also there's just the general economic turmoil that's coming and then you've got a you've got the political turmoil that on the back of all of that and everything is just like there's not much confidence and things are everything just costs a lot more money and so producing uh, TV programs for football matches and doing live broadcasts is just much more expensive now. And it was at saturation point anyway. It's, it's, I understand from speaking to a couple of sports broadcasting professionals that Sky have in here in England, for example, have kind of reached a point where they just don't really have any more money. Their margins are so tight with when it comes to the Premier League that there's only so much more that they can get TNT are new in the market, having just broken away from BT. We don't really know how well that's working out for them. And so there's talk about the other streaming platforms getting in, but whether or not they will make that up, that perceived shortfall, I don't know. I suspect that the Premier League are going to have to sell a lot more games in order to get the same amount of money. But then they'll be back in three years' time, and I don't imagine things are going to be better in three years' time. If anything, they could be worse. And I guess we're seeing that in Italy and in France where, well, I mean, Serie A is a very, very, still a very, very uh, lucrative, uh, commercially successful league, but it's not like it was back in the 1990s and the, and the noughties. These are indications that all is not well in European markets. Spain is also because they've sold off a load of their rights to a private equity fund as well. So yeah. it all suggests that there's a crisis point coming, whether or not that means the end. I mean, we, one thing we always say on this podcast is people will never stop watching football. It's just that they may stop 
paying large amounts of money to watch football. <laughs> and that's the key thing here. So in summary, then, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> so these these are no sales effectively domestically. Uh, Syria and Ligue 1, are they still selling well internationally? I know that they certainly wouldn't, they don't command the same amount of money that the Premier League does for many reasons. I'm just wondering whether this could just be peculiar to France and Italy. I know you've mentioned that, that there's whispers about Germany, but do we really think that we're going to see you know, stagflation in the price of the Premier League? I mean, I'd be surprised if that's going to happen. What potentially is driving this? Is it because you know we're all living through the same cost of living crisis? We all have to buy our gas from other places now and our oil from other places because of uh, the way that things are going in the world. So there's there's costs of living crisis across Western Europe. But I wonder why it's affecting football and particularly in those two countries. I don't think there's, you're right. I don't think there's much more growth in the UK market. But I mean, if Sky didn't have the Premier League rights, why would you have Sky? That's a, a, a huge thing for them. So I don't know whether the, the domestic broadcasters in Italy and France are, are so intrinsically linked with football there as Sky is here. I've heard tell that Sky could foresee a future without the Premier League because the costs are so astronomical and the margins are so tight that they could ditch the Premier League and put all their money into the quite considerable portfolio of other very lucrative sports rights that they do have. They've got all the golf. They've got all the cricket. They've got all the Formula One. Mm. These are really lucrative, incredibly successful sports that don't cost anything like as much as the Premier League does. And they've still got the EFL. So they can still put football on. And actually, I think they get a decent return out of the EFL because the EFL are just so generally terrified of moving away from the sky after the whole ITV digital thing. And it's a bit that same with Rugby League. They've got the Super League. They've just, done, they've just renewed the Super League deal. But again, because Super League, just like, well, we don't want to go anywhere else. And they've picked those rights up for an absolute snip. I think that it would be a shock, but I don't think it would be a massive surprise if Sky were to say, you know what, I think we're out of this, guys. The other thing to consider here is Apple TV are said to be wanting to be involved in this. Now, Apple TV are like Apple in every other respect. It's like, no, we want everything to be hermetically sealed within here. We want all the rights and no one else can have them. Bit like they've done with MLS. And, you know, we're seeing how successful that is. So it might well be that they'll get a big intervention coming. And I think that the Premier League are kind of praying that happens, that Apple actually come and say, yeah, we want this, but we want it all. Want everything. Well, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be allowed here. to do that though, because that, that's why Sky ended up losing exclusivity in the first place, wasn't it? Because yes. there was intervention to say no, you cannot have exclusive, and and that worked against the fans because because now yes, you have to pay did. more more so, to watch. And, watch and that intervention came, was came through, and that intervention came through from the European Union. Ah, and uh-huh. Britain is no longer a member of the European Union. Ah as we know. So um, it might be that if Apple came in with enough money and if the Premier League were cool with it, 
it might well be the British government who might think, why are you bothering me with this? Just go away. Yeah. And it could have. Now, I think that this is unlikely, but I, I think it would be helpful for people who think about these things to turn their minds to the possibility of Sky no longer doing the Premier League. Because as I said, they, they could spend so much more money on their more lucrative sports rights. And then they could go ahead and start producing minority sports, which they want to do because they want to invest in sports where there's potential for growth. Yeah. But women's sports, for example, they want to put in there because there's so much growth potential in that now. I know it sounds awful and commercial, but it's true because well, because yeah. everyone is like, oh, women's sports. They're like, oh, no, let's let's start investing in women's sports because we don't want to look like dinosaurs anymore. So all the brands are rushing into women's sports and women's sports stars. And it's a massive growth area. So you could, that's why the WSO is growing is because it, you can go so far with actually spending a relatively low amount of money on it. And I, I think that that's possibly where Sky would go. And, and they would say, well, look, Premier League is just too expensive. Let someone else manage it. I think that would be more than a surprise for me. I think that would be seismic, I think, in, for the commercial side of, of, of English football. I do think you're right with uh, the potential of, of Apple TV or someone like Amazon who've been dipping their toe for a little while in this. I mean, if the prices don't drop, but the, the existing players drop out, companies like Apple and Amazon could easily step in and fill the void and possibly wouldn't be worried too much on the price because they've got so much money. Um, so there, you know, you, you could see it without without Sky being there. But I mean, I'm a Sky subscriber myself. But I would, how could I justify the amount of money I spend every month to my wife who has no interest in football and doesn't understand why I'm spending so much money on it? Um, and and you know, there'd be plenty of um, football fans would have to justify to their partners as well why they're spending money on it when there's a cost of living crisis. I don't see why I would pay for a, an ugly dish on their side of my house and a bit of plastic tat under my telly just because it records programs without a video recorder, a video cassette in it. I don't know. I think I'd be off. The thing about the Premier League rights is they add games to it every time now. In real terms, it hasn't gone up, but they're giving a lot more games for it. And there's only a certain amount of games that they can give. I think that this this time around, it's 270 games. So which when you consider that there's only 380 in total, then that's a huge chunk of the games are going to be live now. Of course, there are some people who will say, well, they should all be live because we're spending so much money on it. But then that's selling off all your silver. That's the only growth potential the Premier League have actually got now. The only other option they've got is by making a 22-team Premier League. Or abandoning Saturday 3. But that's the next thing, isn't it, is to abandon. Yeah. But I would suggest that they would want a lot of money mm. to do that. The, the cost per sub for Premier League, for Sky Sports subscribers for Premier League, is so high yeah. that they probably feel that they don't need it. They get more value from their golf subscribers yeah. and from their cricket subscribers and from everything else. They could at least halve the cost of their subscription and, and make more money. I well, assuming think, people hung around, though. Well, no, assuming I the people that, that watch cricket I think don't despite like that, I think despite that, because when really? you take away the cost of, make, of producing, of paying for in production, yeah. I think actually you could take the hit. Yeah, and actually lose quite a lot of subscribers, and still actually come out with yeah. more money. I reckon. I, I think as well. Well, yeah, and you look, you've got to look where they're positioning themselves in the market. F one, golf, cricket. They are aiming themselves at a specific market. They're looking at a more affluent, more middle class. That's what they want. They know the pubs are going tits up. That's been a huge source for them over the years. And that's not so much mm. now because they charge pubs a thousand pounds a month, and a lot of pubs just can't afford that. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, 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 yeah. I suppose I just find it it's it's just, it's incredible because you know for the last what thirty years yeah. yeah 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 this is how it's been yeah I think it'd be interesting probably be good for the consumer well, definitely not yeah, to have Sky strangled all night it might do yeah, it might maybe. be Don't but know. at the moment the Premier League splits it up into five packages now if this goes to five different buyers that's five subscriptions you've got to buy yeah it's not going to happen is it mm. yeah people are going to have to make choices and I think at the moment. If people have got one package, it's going to be Sky at the moment, or else they may like get the odd games that appear on on Amazon because they have that anyway. So those are decisions that people would have to make. It doesn't look like we're going to come out of this period of financial uncertainty anytime soon. So the longer these things go on, I mean, anyone who is forward planning as far as like how much revenue you think your your business is going to get just from football, I wouldn't trust Premier League football at the moment. No, I agree. I, I certainly think you need to have a different reason for investing in Premier League football. You need to be using it like, for example, these geezers at 777 who are probably not buying Everton. That they 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 want to use it to sell other products. Yeah. They basically yeah. want to. They just want to monetize the Everton fans. <laughs> That's why they invested in Hertha Berlin and look what's happened there. And of course, yeah, you've got your sports washers who are going in for non-commercial reasons altogether or you've got multi-club model or some of that that are just hoping to consolidate everything in a hope that you'll get some kind of bottom line from there i think it's a really bad risk you know if you're going into the premier league unless you've got too much money and no accountability like someone like elon musk who can literally just like spend all the money that he's got and no one's going to tell him to stop because he's not really got any significant shareholders or a board to say what are you doing you know I mean, and there are only a finite number of those individuals on the planet. You know, all these kind of Bond villains unable to deal with the fact that they're in their 50s. I mean, I think if you look into investing in professional sports, then look at the, the sports that are small right now, but have tremendous growth potential. Those are the areas that you're going to be looking at. And that certainly isn't the Premier League. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the good news is the, the English first division will, will, will endure. It's just the people who work for the English first division may have to suffer uh, as well and that's that's the thing that i think you would want to see managed because you don't like to see people's income suffering or people going into decline so i hope it doesn't bust because i, I wouldn't want to see that kind of economic shock to just people yeah i don't think it'll bust i just think we're going to see a morphing uh, of it into yeah. something different i mean what we started out at the top of this conversation describing is a you know a market correction in the value of the the product in in Italy and France and and if the same thing's going to happen here it'll it'll find a way people are still going to want to watch football and it will there'll be somebody that that'll bundle it up in a different way and people will still be consuming it i think at the moment everything is still dependent on some crazy new player entering and surprising everyone and buying a package, you know, the, the zones of this world, the ones mm. that come out of nowhere and uh, seemingly nowhere and, and all of a sudden just put a load of money in and then promptly go tits up. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, th this is what the model has been doing for God knows how long now. Your, your Stitantas and, and things mm. like that. Yeah. And yes. ITV Digitals. And, but, yeah. yeah, poorly conceived, yeah, broadcast models. On yeah. streaming models, the zone is is not run on commercial lines either, and and so there's doubts as to whether or not that's sustainable. Uh, which is why it's a big mistake, I think, when you know so much of the like the, the women's Champions League has gone over to the yeah. zone, which I think is just scandalous, frankly. You know, because they charge like it's nineteen pound a month or something like that, 
for a designing subscription. It's like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> I'd be amazed if anyone's paying that. No, you'd like to think that yeah. you can you can hunt around. Mind you, I've done some scuffing around, and I can't find a discount code for it. But maybe I'm not looking at it. Well, but I, anyway, I suppose you know. there are a lot. They do have a lot of boxing on there, don't they? So suppose, they do. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And they and I think they and they've got the NFL Game Pass as well, which yeah. apparently doesn't work yeah, very well. But like, it, so know. those guys, they'll depart with their money, but drop of a hat, they will. Yeah, so, yeah. And that TNT is owned by Discovery, and like they're well known for not writing checks. So <laughs> I, you know, you just yeah, I have to wonder whether or not. The, the, the players at the moment are sustainable and yeah apple have got more money but they've also got that more money than sense but but they haven't they've got a board you know i mean like they that company has accountability i think amazon is a bit more maverick in its approach but mm. they're more willing to to do stuff and then see if it works or not but like like lord of the rings for example spend a billion pounds on lord of the rings oh shit oh well leave it you know they can take the hit but like you would question the judgment of any leader if they were to go in big into the Premier League at this point. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you, what's what's the end game? Because really, again, Amazon exists to sell toilet paper. So, <laughs> Yeah, the thing is about, about Apple as well, I think that that deal they've got with the MLS, there were things in it that work, but I think it works for MLS in the US. MLS is a minority sport still there. It's still fourth on most, on most people's list, I suppose, but... So it occupies a different space, and but I, I think you're right, Terry. I think if they if they wanted to come in for the Premier League stuff, they want what they've got over there with it, and that would be a real changer. Yes, a real game yeah. changer. Um, I can't see it happen. I, I mean, I think I think yeah, you're right. I don't think it's outrageous that Sky will back out. I think it's more likely that they'll they'll walk back yeah. slowly from it. But I, I mean, it'd be astonishing if they pulled out altogether. But, but you know. It, it doesn't surprise me that they're putting noises out that they could walk away. Yeah, oh, it's good business yeah. negotiation yeah. department. Of course it is. Yeah. They're, on, they're yeah. on the edge of a bidding So we don't need it. Yeah, it's exactly the type of thing you should be leaking. But just yeah. consider the shock if it was to happen. Oh, yes. It would be a big shock. It would, it would be, be a big shock for a lot of people. It would equal the shock when they first entered the market, yeah. which was, it was. stunned yes. everyone, didn't it? Um, it would be. I think it would be a bigger shock, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it would. I think yeah. it would be a bigger yeah, shock yeah. than when they took over in the first place. And it was a shock then. But we all thought it was funny because ITV's coverage of football was disastrous. <laughs> and so we went, yeah. But then we realised that we had to pay all this money uh, to watch football. Well, yeah, and still have to sit through adverts. Which and I still don't understand. Yes, but I'm, I'm yeah. paying for it, so it shouldn't. That have should be adverts. illegal. That should be yeah. illegal in this country. Mm-hmm. Subscription television should be advert-free. Exactly. Why do I have to sit? Well, surely at, at half time, I should be able to sit there and watch uh, Michael Richards <laughs> and and Roy Keane <laughs> laugh at each other <laughs> without without being interrupted uh, with you know Waitrose's latest Christmas <laughs> advert. <laughs> That's what I, that's what I pay for. Stop it! You're putting you're putting ideas in Graham's head. Sign up for an advert affiliate for the Sound of Football. And five p is mine. Oh <laughs> uh, well, maybe maybe what we should do is watch as much football as we can while it's still around. The good thing about this conversation, of course, is it makes it much easier for you to segue into. <laughs> the final stanza. Yeah, I know exactly. I mean, if if anything, it's less of a challenge, and uh, and I, I'm a bit disappointed <laughs> in it. Um, but I, I do wonder what we will be watching this weekend. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, uh, I suppose the big draw on Saturday is the first chance for TV viewers to watch a live game of uh, Wayne Rooney's Birmingham City as they travel to St Mary's. Southampton versus Birmingham City. Um, What can we expect from Wayne Rooney in the championship, back in the championship? Terry? Well, he did a great job at Derby, didn't he? He did indeed, yeah. Under difficult circumstances. But then so did Frank Lampard. It's true. (laughs) That's true. In that case, Graham... I genuinely don't know. <laughs> Jan? So he had his first game, and so it was Carrick against Rooney yes, at the weekend when he, he took um, his side all the way up to Middlesbrough. Um, but um, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's something different about Wayne Rooney. I think the fact that he he, he had his stint at uh, Derby, and you're right, he, he received some plaudits for that, and, and he deserved it and then he decided i'm going to go off to america and ply my trade over there um you know without you know all the fanfare um so he's come back a bit strange circumstances maybe we can talk about another time about how birmingham came to have him when their manager was doing very well um at the time but maybe it just they got to the point where they thought they could we could get wayne rooney here and that's going to bring in some interest and we could maybe sell a documentary or something like that i don't know but no i think it's gonna be interesting to see what he does i think he just seems like he's got more gravitas than lampard and when i hear him speak it sounds like he knows what he's talking about i think that's the difference yeah i'm on board with that opinion love that opinion i'm going to take that opinion and keep it for myself you can have it do thank so. you very much <laughs> do so that is now my opinion there's also the Manchester derby as well this weekend. So, yes, United at home to City. That should be the game of football, shouldn't it, Terry? Yeah, that'll be a game of football. I mean, we don't know what Man United do from one week to the next, to be fair. But it is going to be a derby game. And they're going to be, they're going to, oh, both sets of players are going to be well up for it. Uh, they're always well worth watching the Manchester derby. Uh, and no clear favourite, I would suggest. Well, actually, the clear favourite is City. But... <laughs> they uh, also a league kicked off last weekend and so we're going to get gary andrews to come in and give us a preview for one of the matches that will be on offer at a very reasonable time slot because they show the w league as well they, they, they show the a league women they as do, well yes. i have done for some time now actually uh it was interesting because i caught a couple of minutes of, of one of those games while i was channel hopping early on sunday morning and they they've started holding these games in the larger stadiums where and the take-up is not as impressive as it is in the WSL, but it's clearly they're trying to build on the on the success of the Women's World Cup. And I hope that that happens. It's always a struggle for the A-League women because obviously the best Aussie players do move to Europe or the United States, sadly. But uh, nevertheless, it uh, might be worth keeping an eye on if you like your women's football. Well, yes. And if you do like your women's football, then uh, it's Nations League this weekend, all across the weekend. England have a double header against Belgium on Friday night and on Tuesday night as well. And if you want to see what we think about those games, then get along to sofpodcast.com, click on the link for the weekend box set and subscribe and you will get the email in your inbox on Friday lunchtime. But that's all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sibley, from Jan Bilton and from Terry Fuller, it's goodbye. 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 You can contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter, at Sound of Football, 
or on facebook.com slash soundoffootball.